Welcome to the Relevant Truth Podcast. My name is Roger Mason. This podcast is dedicated to examining biblical truth. The Bible is overflowing with relevant truth useful in our everyday lives. Thus the title, Relevant Truth. The Bible was relevant to those that first heard it through the apostles and prophets. It is also timeless truth, which means it is relevant for us today in the 21st century. It is my hope that through this podcast, you will be both encouraged and challenged as we look at the Bible together. In today's podcast, we will take a look at the parable of the talents from Matthew 25. One of the things that this parable tells us is that our faithfulness or lack of it will be measured and tested by the Lord. One of the key things God is looking for in the believer is faithfulness. Are you a faithful follower of Jesus? This is the big idea in today's podcast. What does this parable tell us about faithfulness? Let's find out as we examine Matthew chapter 25. So reading... Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30, from the New King James Version. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. To the one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them, and made another five talents. And likewise, the one who received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you have delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he would receive one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, here you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew I reap where I have not sown, and gathered where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This parable is found in what is called the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and 25. It is part of the last teachings that Jesus gave his disciples before his death on the cross. 
These are the last instructions of Jesus to his disciples. He talks about the end times and the fact that he would return to this world. It is in this context that Jesus gives us two parables in Matthew 25, the parable of the ten virgins and the parable of the talents. Both of these parables talk about being prepared for the return of Christ to this world. In light of the fact that Jesus will be returning, what do we do? These two parables answer that question. In the parable of the ten virgins, the message is to be ready, be prepared, and have surplus oil at all times. Matthew 25 and verse 13. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. In the parable of the talents, the message is to be faithful. God requires each of his servants to be faithful doing God's business. When Jesus comes back, he will be looking for faithful servants. The message behind the parable of the talents is to be faithful in the things that God has given you to do. In Luke 19, verses 11 to 27, this parable is paralleled. Some of the details are changed, but the message is the same as it is here. Luke 19, verse 13. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, Do business till I come. This same message is implied in this parable. Do business till I come. Each of us has a unique calling, gifts, skills, abilities, and opportunities. God expects us to use all we have to glorify him and advance his kingdom. God wants us to be faithful in fulfilling that calling that he has given us, using those gifts, skills, and abilities that have been given to us, taking those opportunities that God has opened for us, and doing business, God's business, in this world. Our faithfulness or lack of it will be measured and tested when he returns. So let's examine what this parable has to say about faithfulness. First, faithfulness will be examined. Verses 14 to 19. So let's read verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his servants and delivered his goods to them. This was a common practice in ancient times for a rich man to leave his assets in the hands of capable servants or slaves to do business for him. The fact that the master traveled to a far country gave the master ample time to test the faithfulness of his servants. We immediately see the parallel here. Jesus has departed to heaven and will be returning. We as believers in Christ are left behind to do his business in this world. The talent was not a coin, but a measurement or weight of money. It could be gold, silver, or copper. A talent was a large sum of money, about 6,000 denarii. A denarius represented a day's wages for a typical working man. Matthew 20 and verse 2. Now when he agreed with the laborer for a denarius a day, he sent them into the vineyard. A talent was worth about 20 years wages. Each servant, according to his own ability, was expected to use what he had been given. Verse 15. The master saw potential for each of his servants. 
The servant given five talents and the servant given two talents both used their talents according to their abilities and doubled their original amount. Verses 16 and 17. The servant given one talent did not even try to fulfill the responsibility that the master gave him, but buried his talent in the ground. Verse 18. The servant with one talent buried his talent. How many believers bury their talents? God wants us to use our talents and gain more. When we think of the English concept of talent, we think of a natural aptitude or an inherited ability that certain people have been given by God. In this parable, the talent was money that was entrusted to these servants by another. The talent did not belong to them but it belonged to the master. It says of the third servant in Matthew 25 and verse 18, but he hid his Lord's money. The talent was not theirs. It belonged to the master. The talent was loaned to them to do business. It was not to be used by the servants for their own interests or for their personal benefit, but for the master's. God gives us gifts. He empowers us. He enables us supernaturally to do things that we could not normally do. God gives us gifts, talents, and abilities. Why? For our own personal benefit? No. So that we can become rich and famous? No. To promote us so that we can become Christian celebrities? No. Many have not learned to handle the gifts that God has given them in a proper way. It has become their ministry, their gifts. It is now all about them. That's not the purpose for which God gave us these gifts and talents. God is looking for faithfulness in our use of his gifts. Gifts and enablements that he gives us are not to be used for our own glory. They are to be used for His glory. There are two extremes when it comes to the proper use of God's gifts. We can use God's gifts and get all puffed up and think that this is all about us. Or we can bury God's gifts and ignore them and act like we don't even have them. Both of these extremes are the wrong use of the gifts that God has given us. Two of the servants in this parable were faithful in using the talents given to them by the master. But the one talented servant buried his talent. Matthew 25 and verse 18. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. He treated this talent as useless and buried it. He made no use of the talent at all. He would return the talent just as he had received it. For that reason, he was looked upon in this parable as an unfaithful servant. Notice that the faithfulness of each servant was examined by the master. This parable teaches us that faithfulness will be examined. And secondly, this parable teaches us that faithfulness will be rewarded. Verses 20 to 23. Summarizing these verses, the five-talent servant doubled his talents to ten. The two-talent servant doubled his talents to four. The first two servants received the same reward, even though they returned different amounts of money to the master. 
their reward was based on their faithfulness, not on the size of their responsibility or how much money they gained. Both servants received the same commendation. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. That's found in Matthew 25, verses 21 and 23. Well done, good and faithful servant. Faithfulness is the virtue being examined in these servants. The test of their service was not how much they earned, but how faithful they were. These three servants are typical of God's people, who are entrusted by God with various tasks in accordance with their skills and abilities. They are not all expected to produce the same results, but they are expected to be faithful with what God has entrusted to them. Two of the servants doubled their money, while the last one buried his talent in the ground. These three servants fall into two categories, faithful and unfaithful. Two of these servants were faithful and were rewarded, and one of the servants was unfaithful and was not rewarded. I must tell you that I don't do things in this life for reward. Reward is not my motivation for serving and obeying the Lord, but I do want to hear the words from my Lord, well done, good and faithful servant. Whatever it takes and whatever I must do to hear those words, I want to be doing that as a Christian. What we do in this life will determine the rewards that we will receive in the next life. Please understand this that eternal life is not something that we earn through good works. That's not what this parable is saying, and that's not what I'm saying. Eternal life is not a reward for faithful service. There is nothing that we can do to earn eternal life or to gain God's approval. In other words, we do not earn God's approval or acquire eternal life through faithful service. That is not what this parable is saying. Eternal life is given freely to us through what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. He took our sins upon himself. He died in our place so that we could have forgiveness of sin and receive eternal life. Eternal life comes through what Jesus did, not through what we do. It is not through our works, but through his work of redemption on the cross that we receive eternal life. The scriptures are clear on this. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, it's through what God gave his only begotten Son that we can receive eternal life. John 1 and verse 12. But as many as received him, that is Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those that believe in his name, in Jesus' name. Acts 4 and verse 12. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And of course, that is speaking of Jesus. And then Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. 
Again, Ephesians is clear. It's not through our works that we gain eternal life. But eternal life is a gift of God. It's through grace that we're saved, not through our works. So our faithful service demonstrates a vital faith in Jesus Christ, but it doesn't earn us salvation. That's what James means when it says in James 2 and verse 17. So you see, it isn't enough just to have faith. Faith that doesn't show itself by good deeds is no faith at all. It is dead and useless. That's James 2 verse 17 in the New Living Translation. What James is saying here is that our faith in Christ is demonstrated by our good deeds, but it is not the means of our salvation. John Wesley averaged three sermons a day for 54 years, preaching all told more than 44,000 times during that period. In doing this, he traveled by horseback and carriage more than 200,000 miles, or about 5,000 miles a year. His published works included a four-volume commentary on the whole Bible, a dictionary of the English language, a five-volume work on natural philosophy, a four-volume work on church history, histories of England and Rome, a grammar of Hebrew, Latin, Greek, French, and the English languages, three works on medicine, six volumes of church music, and seven volumes of his sermons. He arose 4 a.m. and worked solidly through to 10 p.m. every day, allowing brief periods for meals. In the midst of all of this work, John Wesley declares, and I quote, I have more hours of private retirement than any man in England, unquote. At the age of 83, he was upset that he could not do more work than 15 hours a day without hurting his eyes. At the age of 86, he was ashamed to admit that he could not preach more than twice a day. At the age of 86, he still preached in almost every shire in England and Wales and often rode 30 to 50 miles a day. John Wesley is truly an example of a faithful servant. But John Wesley would be the first to admit that none of his work would make him acceptable or righteous in the eyes of God. Our faithful service to God demonstrates a vital faith in Jesus Christ, but it does not earn for us eternal salvation. This parable teaches us, first, that faithfulness will be examined, and secondly, that faithfulness will be rewarded. So let's move on. Thirdly, this parable teaches us that unfaithfulness, there is no excuse. Verses 24 to 30. So there is no excuse for unfaithfulness. God will give us all that we need to be a faithful servant of his. The third servant had nothing but insults and excuses for his master. He really didn't seem to have a lot of love and connection to his master. He accused the master of being hard and unreasonable. Look at the faulty ideas about the master that this servant held. Verse 24. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. The unfaithful servant made a great mistake in misjudging the character of his master. 
This phrase found in verse 24 in the New King James Version, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, is translated in other versions like this, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man. That's from the NRSV. I knew you were a demanding person from the NAB. Look at how this servant viewed his master. I knew that you were a man impossible to serve. Nothing I do will ever please you. You're asking me what is impossible to give. So this is the view that this servant had of his master. He could not have known his master very well in assuming that he was demanding, severe, and merciless. This servant seemed to have thought that whatever he did, his master would be unjust to him and not treat him fairly. This is why I believe that the one-talent servant wasn't really a follower of the Lord. What a tragedy! Here we have a servant attempting to serve the master who he really doesn't know. This servant viewed his master as harsh, hard, and unjust. Many times our view of God is a consequence of our flawed relationship with an earthly father. This unfaithful servant failed to understand the real generosity of his master. This master wanted his servants to experience the joy of service. He wanted his servants to grow in their skills and abilities. He wanted his servants to succeed in business. He saw something in these servants that they could not see in themselves. If this master gives his servant five talents, he obviously believes that this servant can successfully do business with five talents and make a profit. If the master gives his servant two talents, he obviously believes that this servant can successfully do business with two talents and make a profit. If the master gives his servant one talent, he obviously believed that this servant could successfully do business with one talent and make a profit. Two of these servants esteemed their master. One servant did not. When God asks us to do something for him, he empowers us to do what he is asking us to do. The Bible says, without me, you can do nothing. God always asks us to do something that seems beyond us. It is too big. I can't do this. Of course you can't. You can't do it without God's help. God wants us to partner with him to do kingdom business. We work alongside of God to do the tasks that he's calling us to do. The Bible tells us, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. That's John 15 and verse 5. God guarantees us success. This does not mean that we will not face difficulty or even fail, but God will ultimately give us success. Matthew 25 and verse 24. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. This servant was blaming or accusing the master of being dishonest and unfair. 
In essence, he was saying, you charge interest where you have not invested money. We often do this. We deflect blame from ourselves by blaming others and pointing out the faults of others. This servant was accusing the master of extortion, the unfair acquiring of money. What is extortion? Let me give you an illustration. You get a loan for $100 from a crook on the street. You plan on paying it back next week with interest. A week later, you come to him to pay him back the $100 with interest, and he tells you that you owe him $500. You say, $500? That much interest? I can't pay you $500. I can pay you $150, but I can't pay you $500. I can't do it. So you leave. You come back two weeks later with $500, and he tells you you owe $1,000. It's interest. This is extortion. Matthew twenty-five, twenty-five. I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. This servant excused himself because of a controlling fear. He was afraid of failure, so he never even tried to succeed. Fear is the opposite of faith or trust in God. That's why we have 365 fear nots in the Bible. God doesn't accept fear as an excuse for failure. How many Christians are controlled by fear because they have not trusted or had faith in God? It is better to have tried and failed than have never tried at all. A paralyzing fear of failure leads us to bury our talent in order to protect it. The master didn't accept any of these excuses as legitimate. But the Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and on my coming and would have received back my own with interest. That's Matthew 25, verses 26 and 27. The master quotes the words of the servant. You say, I am illegitimately collecting money from others. Notice that the master doesn't admit to being hard, harsh, or unreasonable. He does emphasize the expectations of his servants. They are to be faithful and to do business. At least you could have deposited the money with the bank so that I might have made some interest. Even if this servant would have earned interest from the bank from this talent, with minimal effort, I believe that he would have received the same commendation as the other servants. Instead, all this servant had to show for his efforts was a hole in the ground. His talent was taken and given to the man with ten talents. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. That's Matthew twenty-five twenty-eight. There is a fixed law in the spiritual realm that we need to understand. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. That's Matthew twenty-five twenty-nine. The word abundance used here in this verse means to superabound or to have in excess. This verse clearly states that a person must use what God has given him or else he will lose it. This includes abilities and spiritual gifts. The Bible says in 1 Peter 4.10, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. 
we are to function in the gifts God has given us to serve others. The more we function in the gifts God has given us, the more we are enabled to do for him. Conversely, we will lose what we don't use. The man who used his many talents always gains more. The one who does not use his talents loses what he has. The one talent servant was condemned as an unprofitable servant who failed to be faithful. The fact that this servant was cast into outer darkness and called an unprofitable servant certainly indicates that he was not a true disciple. Matthew 25 and verse 30, And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Unfortunately, we have Christians who are also unfaithful. They will receive heaven as their home with little reward. Have you seen the movie called The Incredibles? God spoke to me when I first saw this movie. I identified with Bob. Bob and his wife Helen were a typical family with three children living in the suburbs. Bob had a white-collar job in an insurance agency, but he did not seem happy. Eventually, we learned that Bob and Helen were not typical suburbanites. They were supers, humans gifted with superpowers. They were once seen as heroes, but collateral damage from their various good deeds led the government to create a super relocation program. The supers were forced to fit in amongst civilians and not use their superpowers. Bob and Helen married, raised three children who also turned out to be supers. We see the frustration of Bob, who had powers that he was not allowed to use. Many of us can identify with Bob. We have gifts, we have talents, we have skills, but we're not using them. And we are frustrated. For whatever reason, you have been sidelined in using your gifts. You have been discouraged from using them. You are shut down like Bob was. Possibly you were attacked and hurt and criticized for using your gift, and for that reason you've shut it down. Or maybe there's just a lack of opportunity in using your gift. So look at what the Bible says. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you. That's 2 Timothy 1.6. So Paul encourages Timothy to stir up the gift of God. We must stir up these gifts of God that are in us. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Matthew 25 and verse 29. The Bible tells us that we must use our gifts or we will lose them. If you have been faithful over a few things, I will make you ruler over many things. Matthew 25 and verse 23. The Bible tells us that as we use our gifts, an increase will come. Do business till I come. Luke 19 and verse 13. The Bible tells us that God expects us to use our gifts. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. Luke 16 and verse 10. The Bible tells us that as we use our gifts, an increase in responsibility will come to us. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. Galatians 6 and verse 9. Men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Luke 18 and verse 1. 
the Bible tells us not to grow weary and to lose heart. For those of you that are not sure that you're a Christian, you thought that your good works was enough to earn you God's approval. Can I suggest that we pray together? Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you to forgive me for all of my sin. Forgive me for believing that I could be righteous on my own. Thank you, Jesus, for dying in my place for my sins. I receive the forgiveness that you offer me. I choose to submit and follow you as my Lord. For those of you that feel sidelined in using your gifts, can I suggest that we pray together? Father, in Jesus' name, I repent of suppressing, laying down, and bearing my gifts. I now call on you, Lord, to reactivate these gifts that you have given me. Loose these gifts and calling skills and abilities that you have given me in Jesus' name. I choose to submit and follow you as my Lord. Open up opportunities so that I may use these gifts that you have given me for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Join us in two weeks for our next episode of Relevant Truth. Never miss an episode of the podcast by subscribing on iTunes. If you like the podcast, why not submit an iTunes review? Thanks for listening. Thank you.